The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, quit grinding the Colombian and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 513 with guest Michael Learned, recorded live Monday, December 14th, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms, WPF, Silverlight, and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And now... The man who had a psychic girlfriend, but she left them before they met. Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here with you for another hour of pure happiness. Awesome. Hey, man, what's up? Yeah, you know, a new year, another one. Another one. <laughs> <laughs> I've been uh, working with Silverlight 4 recently. and Big uh, from the beta. Yeah, playing with the beta, loving it, and uh, Better Know Framework this week comes directly from my experience with that. Awesome. So there you go. All right. Better Know Framework, of course, is where I shine a little light on a dark and dingy corner of the .NET Framework. Hopefully, by osmosis, over time, you will uh, learn something. So, today I'm going to talk about system.windows.media.imaging.bitmapimage. Uh, hmm. What do you think this does? So this is essentially, this is a bitmap. This is how you load JPEG files, how you load BMP files or whatever kind of image you, PNG or whatever. Into Silverlight. Into Silverlight. Well, so looking in the docs, it looks like the bitmap image has lost a whole lot of weight from uh, from Framework 3.5, Silverlight 3, to the beta of Silverlight 4. Um just in terms of the number of methods and things like that, or maybe they've been rearranged. I don't really know all that much about it. But huh. here's the interesting thing. There's a, uh, on the constructor, you can pass a URI to a, you know, a, a URL or a file or something like that, a uniform resource identifier, right. that is, and uh, load up the bitmap uh, or the, the, the image. But if, let's say you have a stream, and that's all you have because get this in Silverlight four or in Silverlight, you can't really load, you can't really access the file system. Yeah. And 
I also found that uh, loading from a stream is is much easier when you're using like a web client to download the JPEG or something like that. Okay. So you use the set source method for that, and then you pass a stream into it, and there you go. So those are two ways you can load it. You can load uh, a graphic with a URI, or you could use set source to load it uh, from a stream. And that's it. That's all I got. Awesome. Bitmap image. Know it, learn it, love it. Who's yakking at us now, Richard? Do you remember Louis Vasquez? Of course I remember Louis. Hey, I got an email from a while ago, and I meant to read it uh, to you some time ago. In fact, he says, hello again. You may remember me from your road trip to Houston. I spoke to you after the show and had a really good time. It was way awesome to meet you guys. Yeah. And he was like, didn't he come up from from Louisiana? Yeah, he drove from Louisiana. To meet us in, yeah. in Houston, which is not a trivial distance. Yeah, he and a friend of his, I believe. Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to tell you guys that I really enjoyed all your shows about UI on .NET Rocks as well as DNR TV. After taking a close look at all the user experiences in my software, I found a great opportunity to help my users and wanted to share it with you guys, your listeners, and especially Mark Miller. Mr. Miller. And he says in parentheses, have you seen that guy's head? He looks like an alien. (laughs) My software keeps a history for the purpose of undos. I created a handler to monitor the history for patterns. When patterns are found, the application will ask the user if they would like to set a hotkey for that combination, as well as a quick button to the ribbon toolbar. Hmm. Think about that. Yeah. So you, you know, you keep your history so that you can always undo stuff, but now he's actually watching to say, hey, you do these same four steps over and over, and over again, and basically makes it on-the-fly macro for you that turns up as a button on your That's toolbar. That's pretty damn cool. That is very clever. Just wanted to share that, and the response I got from my users was awesome, Luis Vasquez. You know, imagination certainly is more important than knowledge. Uh, a very clever idea, Luis. Worth a mug to me, and a great idea for the listeners, too. Yep. If you've got ideas, tricks you've done in your code, suggestions for new shows, anything like that, send us an email, .netrocks at franklins.net. And uh, speaking of Mark Miller, we just found out that uh, it's a boy. Oh my goodness, yes. They're making another one. They're making another one. And guess what its name is going to be? What's the name, my friend? Campbell Franklin Miller. What a great name. I'm not kidding. (laughs) We're not kidding. They're going to name their baby. Mark Miller and his wife are going to name their baby after Richard and I. Campbell Franklin Miller. There you go. Now we just have to be worthy uncles. Worthy uncles. Our guest today is Michael Learned. Michael is a premier field engineer for Microsoft, works with several of Microsoft's largest customers, helping them to integrate and leverage Visual Studio Team systems successfully. Michael's been working with Team Foundation Server, Team Build, and the various other components of Team System in multiple roles such as developer, administrator, and trainer since the product version 1 released in 2005. Currently, Michael's passion is helping companies to solve their various software engineering challenges via leveraging Team Foundation Server effectively. Michael also enjoys sports and music, refereeing his four-year-old daughter and eight-year-old son's toe-to-toe matchups and all things Microsoft in his free time. Michael and other PFEs, Premier Field Engineers, can be reached at the blog, blogs.msdn.com slash PFEDev. Welcome, Michael. Hey, guys. Team system do's and don'ts, tips and tricks, lots of things to... uh, Lots of things to talk about. Yeah, several of them. Uh, 
Usually they're pretty logical and straightforward, actually, if you just if you just kind of knew them going into the product. We have had quite a few shows recently on um, on Team System, and I I guess you might have heard or you might not have heard some of those. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually uh, listened to all your recent shows around VSTS. Very good shows. Um, I thought I could maybe provide a little different perspective. I guess that, that was a great show. Is on uh, kind of the whole end-to-end ALM process side of things, I think. Yeah. So I'm looking to maybe show, talk a little bit more nuts and bolts of what we're doing. Let's get into it, yeah. So, Michael, you work on pretty big uh, team system setups. What is big to you? Well, I, I work on large, and I'll say, and small. I mean, we have, I work for, you know, PFE, which really we have what we call premier customers in Microsoft, um, which are your, you know, the biggest of customers to we actually have customers with small implementations with, you know, 20, 30 users as well, but just have shelled out for the, you know, the premier contract, if you will. Right. Yeah. The largest one, I'll, you know, I have a pretty interesting, unique one. I was going to talk about, you know, just getting off the ground sometimes is, is the initial challenge, getting it installed, the product. It's, it's not, frankly, the product that just install, you know, you, you, you click a button, you go away 10 minutes later and it's installed. I mean, being upfront and honest about that, anybody who's done installations of TFS since 2005, uh, we're talking about the server side, you know, all the way to today, not that kind of product. Um, but the largest, pretty big to me, I think the largest uh, implementation I've seen is we're going to have several thousand users who are going to be need the ability to, it, it, we're not even in the world of a dual server configuration anymore where we've got, um, you know, reporting services on the app tier and, and this type of stuff. Everything's exploded onto its node. Even analysis services, for example, mm-hmm. onto its its own node. So this thing can get, you know, it can install as a single or dual server uh, where everything's either on one box or you can explode the data tier out onto its own server, and that's what most companies use. Right. Or we can go, hey, we need to scale this thing to the max. Let's put reporting services in its own farm. Let's put yeah. SharePoint in its own farm. And, you know, analysis services even on its own node. And uh, there's some misnomer there about, you know, 64-bit support. A lot of people know in TFS 2008 for the app tier is not supported. But on one of these big distributed installs, we can actually be 64-bit everywhere else. So SQL Server, um, you know, reporting services, SharePoint, et cetera, and just have that one node of 32-bit TFS services. Doesn't really make sense to make Visual Studio 64-bit, does it? No, I'm, I'm basically talking about the server side. Visual Studio is a different animal, so that's you know we, we move to talk about the client side then, and right, and it's going to run you know as a 32-bit process. So yeah, so if you're talking about breaking out the SharePoint side of things into its own farm, SQL Server, the uh, the reporting services, like this could be a dozen machines. Yeah, yeah, lots and lots of machines. Actually, uh, an install I'd recently done, they had, you know, I think there was eight or ten SharePoint front ends. Um, reporting services the same way. The ability to scale out, you know, reporting services. That product has been there for a while, and they, and you know, everything, including which was to me was the first time I'd ever saw analysis services even being on a different, you know, node than everything else. So what it was was the customer had, you know, they weren't wanting to manage separate SharePoint, separate reporting services, etc. For just because the TFS was going in, you know, they've got their enterprise right. reporting services already. Um, hey, plug in and use ours. And I will, I will uh, make the point that this is what we call a custom install. If you're 
familiar with the TFS installation guide, which everybody who's trying to use this thing should have downloaded. Um, that's a single or dual server install. Think of that as I walk through the wizard and it kind of just guides me and I'm able to install it. When you want to do this custom installation, like exploding SharePoint out into its own world or pointing to that existing SharePoint world, um, reporting services, etc., where we're taking those pieces off the application tier for TFS and putting them out in their own world, you're actually modifying an INI file to make that happen. So it's not a perfect story in that it just doesn't all happen through the wizard. There's a little setup ahead of time. But you And you were saying thousands of users. Is that thousands of developers? No, we could, we could be talking about uh, users in general. So, you know, developers are one role for Team System, obviously. But, right. uh, you know, the customers even, maybe cu- um, who are using web access to enter bugs or maybe the, uh, the project managers involved, the various teams of business analysts, et cetera, all are performing operations at the end of the day on a, you know, a SQL Server database somewhere. Um, and in the world of 2008, and we're talking about a TFS instance, we're talking about you know, the same databases, the same database server even. You know, it's different in 2010, but we have some options there. But so at the end of the day, uh, when I say users, I mean no matter what role. Michael, are there any challenges that um, come from selecting options in the configuration when you're installing Team System or TFS that might be difficult to change after you've been using it for a while? (laughs) Yeah, there are a couple um, there are a couple of options I, you know, you kind of wish you knew going in. What I guess the the uh, famous one is the uh, in in the world of 2008 now is the SMTP server one. What it is is you wind up on this page, uh, something as simple as you know setting up my SMTP server for my email alerts, and you see it right there in the wizard. And P, and I've seen this, you know, multiple customers I met as they're walking through. We'll get to that later. They think, and, you know, we'll we'll go ahead and install and we'll repoint later on which you can do, obviously, but it, it's not something that happens to the GUI. You know, they get, you're changing a web config setting, basically. Right. But there's a few little setup gotchas there like that. They just expect, I suppose, you'd see it right in a GUI somewhere, right? Um, sure. Other ones as you're walking through the installation as far as uh, known gotchas, I will say that it's not the friendliest thing to repoint. Once you've decided, okay, this is where reporting services is at, for example, or this is where SharePoint's at, now you want to move stuff around later on. There's, it's all doable. It's just not, you know, a, a right-click GUI thing like people have come to expect, you know, with with administering lots of Microsoft stuff. So, yeah, this sounds like a recurring theme. So, the, generally, the installation wizard, the nice GUI part, is a one-time thing, and after that, you're editing config files. Yeah, for for much of it, for much of it, there's, um, and it's well documented and been done, and you know, not a, a major challenge, but it's one of those things. Hey. It's something as simple as email alerts. Why am I back in a web config file that you know kind of bother people? Yeah. So, and I guess the, one of the do's is figure out your mail stuff in advance so you can use the GUI to enter it correctly off the bat. Yeah, it's, I'd say if it's there, it most likely it already exists, right? It's just maybe I'm a little lazy and I don't want to ask Bob or whoever, hey, what's the SNTP server name? Or I don't want to go look it up. It's probably worth the time to get it. And you know, the thing is, um, I can't stress it, how important it is enough. To treat this as a project plan going in, not a one-off install, hey, we'll just get it up and running and retry to beat it with a hammer. And I think you want to definitely use that that installation guide I'm referencing, the latest version of that, which is the CHM document. You want to get yeah. that downloaded and follow it to verbatim. Well, I imagine there might be issues around existing versions of SQL Server installed or, or existing versions of SharePoint 
maybe when you're working with the beta. Uh, it always seems to be a problem for me anyway when I install stuff. You know, it's expecting a certain version of a certain SDK and then... Yeah, yeah, and you want to you wanna for sure... Um, I think the number one thing I should have I should have pointed it out before we even went this far was we have a, some automation here to help you in the form of power tools. Um, we have what's called the best practices analyzer. And what that's going to do is there's two things the best practices analyzer will do. One is it'll look at an existing system and give you, you know, a health check of where you're at. The other one is the pre-install checks where it'll say, okay, hey, here's his app tier, here's his data tier, here's what, where he wants to throw TFS on. Now here's, you know, here's some automatic gotchas in a report. You got to fix these up first. And the idea is you want a zero error, zero issue scan, which you can achieve before you ever even attempt to install or you're going to run into things like you're mentioning, Carl. So, um, one final thing uh, while it's on my mind was the reporting services, as you were talking, I was thinking about it. It, it, it likes to stomp on existing reporting services installs. So there's little things like, when you're going to install fresh reporting services, if that's the way you're going to go, uh, you do an install, but don't configure reporting services through that installation. Just things that are not um, you, you don't you don't want to assume you want to follow it or they're in the guide verbatim, but if you right. don't do it, you'll find yourself troubleshooting. So I see where the trap here is, which is developers we're very prone to just drop the DVD and and let it rip and seeing what happens. Mm-hmm. And a developer who knows a little bit too much, like he knows where the server name is and so forth, and maybe has too many privileges, can really wreak havoc. Because he just thought he, you know, we're prone to just let's just fire this in and see what happens. And that's usually when they call us in when it's halfway in, <laughs> and yeah. And, and yeah, it, it, and, and the other thing about it is, um, you know, when we're installing TFS, it's you're you're it's you know again we're leveraging SharePoint, leveraging reporting services, these various other products. Um, you know, TFS often gets the blame, but it, you know, it could be a SharePoint issue, et cetera. It's, it's really uh, it's that you're installing lots of the Microsoft stack and at once. So. Right. Yeah, this is an infrastructure install. It really sounds like something you want IT people involved in. Yep, and I and I think you know I've seen uh, the more sophisticated customers. Well, once they've done this in the world of 2005, they are, they're already treating this much differently. Just with an upgrade to 2008, you know, as far as we've got a project plan, we've got a dry run, even this type of stuff. Right. Yeah. Before we just jump in, you know, the exploded install I mentioned, where you know I saw everything in the world was on its own node or nodes or farms. They did a. I think they did it. I mean, the most unbelievably correct way I could imagine. We spent a week um, just doing a complete virtual dry run. We sim- they had a lab environment, and they had a, what they called a production environment. We did the install, and they, had, you know, they already had similar infrastructure in the lab environment for their other stuff, and we just did a full dry run before we ever you know, uh, did the, uh, the real deals. And that, we had a lot of learnings there, even knowing and following the documentation exactly, et cetera, that we applied directly on the production run that um, – you know, it saved a lot of people in the production environment, you know, from pulling their hair out. Uh, spending a whole week on a dry run sounds amazing, actually. That's, that's a lot of time, but that's mostly getting a good duplicate of the environment that's in production. Yeah, they, and, and they um, and agreed. A lot of customers want to spend a day or two installing this, and this was uh, the other end of the spectrum with this customer. And basically, at the end of it, we came out with a nice report. They, I mean, this was every single click, everything we did was screen captured. 
I mean, it was mm-hmm. well documented. And this mm-hmm. customer is um, really, really, I don't want to use the word anal, really um, just hardcore in the documentation OCD. anyway. <laughs> yeah, the word that came to my mind, Carl, was OCD. Yeah, OCD, exactly. <laughs> That's the politically correct word, the way to say that. Yeah, you can you can get a drug for that, you know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, on the other hand, completely reproducible. They they actually had a totally clean install because they practiced everything. And what a great idea to sort of throw Camtasia on there and record the whole process. Yeah, that's just very powerful. And to be honest with you, I've still got it on uh, some of their screenshots with any information removed that would have been sensitive for my own reference points because it was such a it was just such a good experience to install. So if you're a, a TFS administrator, you're going to have a slightly different role than your average developer. What, what kind of tools do you, should you be using? Yeah, so TFS admins, you know, first of all, and I think I heard one on your earlier shows, I agree that it, it can be a low overhead thing. If everything's in there up and running, it can be one of those nice experiences that administrator, I've even, you know, we're, we're the, you know, just lead developers are the administrator, depending on the company, et cetera. Uh, but there are some tools kind of I think lesser known tools that I've been we've been turning uh, or sh- showing customers one of them is again you got to have the power tools the best practices analyzer and that type of stuff cuz it can periodically just give you a 5 minute scan on your system and it, you know it'll find it's not a perfect tool but it'll find major things so that's that's number 1 but I would think um you want to look if you're going to be monitoring at some point if you have you know a good enough user base I say hundreds or thousands of users or whatever uh, monitoring is important like anything else. We have got uh, uh, what's called a heat map report, um, mm-hmm. as, as well as a some re- other reporting services performance reports that one of the guys that works on the most utilized TFS server inside of Microsoft released. And it shows pretty nifty things like how's version control acting today compared to last week. Um, you know, and mm-hmm. just in, with some key performance indicators and turning different colors on the screen for you. So you can get really down into the subsystems and see how things are performing. So TFS administrator um, that's worried about performance, that's worried about monitoring, that's responsible for those type of things, I, I automatically would point them to go out and get these free reports, you know, that have already been cooked for you. And, you know, they don't come out of the box. Um, but look at a glance, like, what, what users are impacting my system the most? Stuff like that's you know very valuable. So the uh, the administrator role for TFS is often thought of as we're going to go out and set up security for users. We're going to um, create team projects, this type of thing, and then I think sometimes the monitoring and that type of stuff is an after afterthought. But we've got some nice available tools for you. You just have to go download and install them, you know, separately from your core install. There's some stuff on Codeplex too that's uh, that's come out. It's pretty good. We know the major the major hatred that comes towards the security for TFS. I don't know if you guys have experienced it or heard about. Well, I mean, yeah, the hatred for security is just built in for developers. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's and, and well, administrators too. In this case, where they have to like set up a, setting up a new user on a team project in TFS means I set him up in TFS. I right click, I do that, but then he needs rights out to SharePoint. He needs rights at reporting services. Mm. And he needs, you know, rights on these various other places. And we don't have a real great story right now right in, like, inside a Team Explorer, for example. Codeplex has a tool, though. 
Right. Yeah. The administration tool basically brings everything under one GUI and uh, lets you do that. So there's just lots of tools and third-party action. What about 2010? Visual Studio 20, uh, 2010 and, and TFS 2010. As far as security? Yeah, as far as administrative tools. So the same th- right now the story is the same as of Beta 2 as far as the security pain point. And we actually, that if you look on CodePlex, you'd see that administration tool they're working to support 2010 because of it. Um, hmm. As far as other administrative stuff with 2010, yeah, you're going to see a very similar story. You're going to see we have a new release of the power tools that are out as far as for right. administrators, this type of stuff. Um, again, we're going to be on a SQL Server 2008 back end, so those reports I mentioned for monitoring, they're SQL 2008 compliant and all that. Okay. Now, there's lots of differences with 2010 we can talk about as far as architecture and and, uh, you know, team project collections, that type of thing. But the administrative experience is going to be similar. Now, we have the administrator console um, that's going to, you know, simplify some things. And we've got a lot of flexibility on existing SharePoint and existing reporting services, not stomping on them as part of an install, that type of thing we could talk about. But Okay. What are some of the power tools out there that we may not know about? Okay, so if you grab the... The, you know, the power tools, let's say the 2008 release for the current system, and then much of this just directly transfer, transfers to 2010. Um, I mentioned the BPA tools there. There's also underneath the scenes for monitoring uh, from Brian Harry, actually, the TFS server manager, where, um, you know, it, it doesn't... What the, the problem with the power tools, I think, and that why some of them are lightly used, if you go to start programs... You don't see all the stuff in the GUI, like, okay, you see the BPA. A lot of the stuff is just in the install directory, and if you would double-click that TFS server manager, it's going to launch open a pretty nifty GUI tool to that it's monitoring version control, this type of thing. Um, and then there's lots of underneath-the-scenes command-line goodies that you can use as far as uh, that are powered. And what, I, what I'd recommend is you just basically, on the website we have for Power Tools, outlines all of this, but um, it's a separate install. Uh, which is why I go to a lot of companies that have been running TFS for a year or so, and if it's the first time we're out, it, they might not even be on their, you know, nobody even has access or knows about these tools. So alert editor, you know, being able to check in, various check-in policy, new types of check-in policies, this type of stuff's all available. Um, I might make mention of one of my favorite command line utilities, if that's, if that's appropriate. Sure, go ahead. Uh, Scorch, which I think I just like it because of the name. But we can run Scorch from the command line. Basically, it's going to go out. So if you look at a developer's machine sometimes, and we look, we take a corresponding look of what's out in source control, they may look different. Like I've, the guy's went rogue or whatever, and he's got some extra files on that machine in his workspace, or, or files or folders are different um, from what's in source control, from what's on the local developer's workspace. What Scorch will do, it's going to say, hey, I don't care what's on your machine locally. I'm just going to wipe it out with everything that's on the server. So almost like... Go to the server and just, you know, scorch that workspace. So I ran that, you know, several times, and I've always... uh, It's amazing when you look at what's on your local system compared to what's in source control and really the differences that are there that really shouldn't be there. Yeah. And that's just like orphan, not even just guys going rogue, but sort of orphan files, things that get lost in translation, and and eventually it's almost like detris builds up in in your folders. Absolutely. Yeah, so that that's ho- that's what I'm hoping they would add to the you know some of these power tools, the command line stuff that they have now will eventually be in the GUI. 
like annotate used to be just in the command line. Now it's you know it's in the GUI. Uh, so that's one of the ones. And just like you mentioned, orphan files and all that. The build up. Just hey, just take my workspace back to you know a pristine condition, please. And voila, it happens. Yeah. So right. And isn't that an equivalent to Scorch like tree clean? Yeah. But that's on the source culture, source side, like the server side, clear off the sort of uh, orphan files that are not actually under uh, source control? Well, tree clean is going to delete the files that are not under source control in the current your current workspace. Um, but the difference, one of the differences is, is with Scorch, I go, if you, if you go out and, look and read about Scorch or use Scorch, it'll also just, it, any different, you have, let's say the files are there in both places, but there's differences. It'll rehydrate those differences so you're on the right version, et cetera. But, yeah, and then there's other ones like destroy work items and just various other commands. Now, this is all part of those power tools again. You don't get right. these, you know. You install the power tools, you'll have these, uh, you know, command line. Uh, there, there's other spots with the command line with, like, TF and stuff like that that you just get right out of the box with TFS. You won't have these unless you install the power tools. And tell us about TF as long as you mentioned it. Okay, so it's, it's going to have um, a lot of... Uh, just out-of-the-box stuff. So, first of all, you'll have this when you install Team Foundation Server. So we can do things like look at all the workspaces on a server, um, and we can make edits to security at a low level. So it's it's another command line utility that um, I would say administrators are going to want to know about, use, and research. It's got good documentation on MSDN that you can just go. I would I would recommend that, you know, when we're doing – we do an administrative course at, in PFE for uh, – Team Foundation Server Administrators. We'll just walk through the various command line utilities one by one and run them. It, the syntax has its own, you know, just like any command line stuff, it's got its own little nuances, right? So uh, getting used to that. Anything I can't do in the GUI, uh, I start thinking command line with, with TFS, and I start thinking, okay, is it in the power tools? Is it in the TF utility? This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik, who bring you the Telerik extensions for ASP.NET MVC. The extensions bring rich UIs to your MVC application. These are just announced, and this time they're not standard web forms controls tailored for MVC, but native, built-from-the-ground-up MVC components. There's three important things to remember. One, they're pure ASP.NET MVC components. Two, they're based on jQuery. And third, and this is the best part, they're completely open source. Just go to www.telerik.com slash mvc for more information and online demos. Make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. What about PowerShell? Are there PowerShell extensions? Of course there are. What, uh, what can we do with PowerShell? Yeah, and you're actually going to have to um, install PowerShell to actually even run what I call the best practices analyzer because it's going to leverage it. Um, so the PowerShell story is uh, that, you know, the Power Tools, which subsequently gives you the BPA tool, is going to use PowerShell to do all of the, you know, the low-level scripting, pull stuff, um, you know, on the scan. What it, what it looks like as far as, uh, as far as you're concerned with TFS is, when I go to install these other tools, it's going to prompt say, hey, PowerShell needs installed. And I just did, yeah. just did an install on 2008 server, which, of course, um, if you're running a 2003 server, you may download and install PowerShell 2008 server, that's going to be one of those optional components that you can just turn on. Very cool. 
And every so often my administrator hat goes on and I got to think that the thing you're worried about is do I have enough disk space or I, are all these different components running properly? I, I hate waiting until somebody complains they can't get a report to find out that there's a problem with reporting services. Yeah, and I, and I think that's, you're not going to be in the admin tool at that point. Um, you're going to be into these, these those report packs I told you about for monitoring. Right. You know, I always say the best way... Um, Periodically, what you should do as an administrator is periodically create a team project in, in TFS. I mean, I've been out to companies where systems have set around, and you're going to create some team projects initially, but it could be one of these things that doesn't happen very often. And yeah. and, and what, what a team what what, you'll, what I mean by that and why do that? Um, it will touch about everywhere on your installation. I mean, if reporting services is down for whatever reason, or you just don't have access to it or anymore, or there's some type of problem with SharePoint, et cetera, that team project creation is going to fail. So that's one, just one one-off thing you can do. As far as monitoring things like you, like you're saying, what you're going to want to do is a combination of the reports. And I think the reporting services infrastructure, I don't know how familiar everyone is with reporting services, but being able to subscribe to reports, have that delivered into my inbox every day at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning in the, in Excel, um, some type of routine monitoring like that is was the route to go yeah it's supposed to work that way guys like it, you should be able to just subscribe and it works every time right you run into companies where they've got their three or four projects that they run in-house which they made the week that they created or set up tfs and migrated from vss or something like that and they've never made another project and they have no idea if that stuff still works yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. And, and what they have is a bunch of developers and other users that are sitting around with red X's in their Team Explorer windows, and they don't—they have no access to the SharePoint portal anymore. But they're just not saying anything, and et cetera. Which brings me to the red X of death. And do you find these are generally privileges problems? Maybe somebody's upgraded something and it's it's broken uh, the rules to access. Yeah, so it, it could be something as simple as. Um, Honestly, SharePoint's been down for two weeks, but because only TFS is the one using it, and we're not really using that part of the product anyway, it's it's been ignored. I mean, there's lots of reasons. I mean, the reporting service, which would lead us into a different discussion about we're only using this for version control to begin with, and if, if we are, then I think we're missing out on a lot. But um, just there's usually it's something to do with uh, Something got broke, and somebody knew about it. It just wasn't important enough for the rest of the team to, to gripe. Right. Yeah, the guy was on vacation when that happened, and we just never got back to it because we're just concerned about writing code and checking it in, and that seems to work. Yeah, exactly. You can check in code. Everything's working, um, and which I think would tell you then directly that you're not getting the biggest ROI on this product as you should be. If, if you know everything can sit down, if reporting services can be down for a week and nobody noticed, you're missing out on what TFS really does for you. Absolutely. And and really should be, and I listened to some of the other shows around here, and I agree wholeheartedly. I would like to add, I think when I start talking like that, like, okay, it's not just version control anymore. I've, I, you know, developers say, okay, now he's going to go into this big process talk. But I think it's just <laughs> right out of the box, first week, first month, low overhead to set up some basic things. And because I think back when I was a developer and I was involved with project managers on the team and, all I did, just how nice this thing really is if you just would follow a few rules. Right. 
Well, and it's this low friction way to provide feedback to the stakeholders about how things are going. Uh, maybe, Michael, you could describe a bit what you've seen out in the field for what non-developers get from TFS. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, the word would be, you know, project transparency, you know, visibility into the project. Those are the marketing words. But what I love about the product, really, is it, as a developer, I didn't used to want to be bothered all the time about, um, you know, where we are for status. Um, even getting on calls with customers and them explaining to me, um, you know, the various issues they found as they were testing. All this stuff's just kind of done, um, you know, through the tools now. And for as, for as far as non-developer roles, and I think of uh, project managers, business analysts, stakeholders, customers, whatever, that are not core developer roles, but are, that are interacting with the project, there's really two good, really good tools right off the right out of the box you get. Um, and, I'll, and I'll explain them real quickly. So the, the web access tool, Team System Web Access, which is not, in 2008 world, part of the core install, but, you know, it's a separate install, was even a separate company. Microsoft purchased that, and now it's going to be part of, you know, 2010, just a core install. Hmm. But that tool, is, you know, just like you have Outlook Web Access or some other web access where your email does almost anything over the web you can do sitting at your, you know, your, comp- your desktop or laptop, same thing with here with TFS. What I can do is I can expose web access over the wall, and I can have my customers kind of in real time just feeding my developers bugs. So, you know, right through a web tool. They're not installing anything. They're just going to a website. And they could be looking at reports, depending how, how much involved I wanted those, those users to be. So if I've got project managers that are, you know, going to be interacting with a the project, they could also be using that tool um, without in, installing anything at all, although there are other ways. And then SharePoint, the SharePoint portal itself. So every team project we create is going to get a, you know, a SharePoint site collection in 2008. There's differences in 2010, but a lot of visibility there just out of the box with reporting and document management, et cetera. Can we talk about some other roles in, uh, in, the, in the TFS world, like DBAs? What are, what are they looking at? Sure. So the DBAs, so the, the database edition side of things, and I know you guys had talked about this a few times earlier as well. The, sure. The, 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 this may or may not be great for DBAs, depending on the DBA. Some love it, some are not so happy. Um, being able to take the schema out of a out of a production database and shove it into source control, allow the developers to bring it down. And I think where they don't like it is the ability to flush those changes back up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was 2005 where it was just a little too easy to propagate schema changes back to the server, and people did it by accident. Now, let's say that you're a one-man shop. That's a wonderful thing, or a small team, great thing. But in a in a large enterprise, um, can you disable that kind of stuff? So, so I was going to say that you know it all, and it's, I think it comes down to if if you're able to do it, you know, there's obviously some type of security uh, issue involved. If I don't want these people to be able to write those changes, then yep. if I don't have my server hardened enough, and they can, it kind of exposes me as the DBA a bit, right? So you, I mean, you're saying you can lock, you can just do the permissions on SQL Server, and then they'll just get an error. But is there any way to, is there any way to sort of take that off their plate as an option right in right in their tool, to to be able to write changes, to be able to repropagate? Yeah. So I would say there's not an out of the box way. Uh, and Richard, I don't know if you've seen workarounds for that since 2005. 
because you mentioned that it used to be easier in 2005. I think it's still fairly straightforward to do now if you've got the permission. Yeah, it is. It's just that they they put a couple of constraints in place where you can't do it by accident. You make it very, very clear. You're pushing this up to the actual database, Mm -hmm. right? As opposed to just working in the local schema. The chainsaw button itself still exists, though, in that if you click a couple times, you're going to do it if you've got permission. Yeah, you're going to do it. If if you're an okay monkey, you're going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> One of the ones about generating test data, I like it. It dialogues you. It says, hey, we're about to flush everything that's already there and put your new test data in. Is that okay? And then once you say okay, it's like, oh, boy. You know, now we're, we're looking for backups. Yeah, we said okay, and it wasn't okay. Right. Uh, the other thing that I've run into definitely with the database edition is you run into the true IT DBA who doesn't want none of that Visual Studio stuff anywhere near him. Well, sure. Yeah. And uh, we use the, this is in the 2008 GDR edition. We just generate the scripts and hand them the scripts. Here's what I think you should change. Yeah, it's a great point. We don't have to use the, the, you know, the flush chainsaw button. We can still just being able to generate the script, scripts automatically has a lot of power unto itself and hand the DBA. He's very comfortable with looking at the script then and can do his meticulous processing on the, the script before he runs it, et cetera. So I, I would argue then that it's the best of all worlds, and there's really, you know, uh, as you mentioned, uh, they can have it. Or if, if I'm the one-man shop, like Carl said, hey, I can just press the button, and it's very, very nifty. Now, I do want to mention one, while it's on my mind, about one other power tool for database edition. So it has its own set of power tools, and again, it wouldn't be part of the core install. But generating test data, one of the the things we saw is that, okay, we'd love to look, take the production database and and, and give you all this test data, but that's their sensitive information in the production database. And then we saw, well, that's true of most of the data, but or you know some of the data, but a lot of the data would be, would work just fine in production. I mean, who cares if we have you know PO Box forty? sitting there as long as it's not associated with the person's name and social security number, credit card number, et cetera. So we've, within the power tools, there's, we have some niftiness now where, hey, grab all of this data minus these private fields, this type of thing for test data. And there's various other stuff. So if you want to also, when I mentioned download the power tools as an administrator, I was, you know, the, there's power tools also segmented by role with TFS. You want to go look up and download you know, the database power edition tools and, and, and check out what's there as well. And you mentioned GDR, Richard. That that was also something that a lot of customers, you know, it, you know, database edition just in general has flown under the radar, frankly. Yeah, totally neglected. Yeah. And it, even from 2005, well, you know, it's, it started in 2000, when the 2005 launched, it wasn't part of the core deal. And, then, right. it, you know, it, it, and I think ever since then, it's never caught up. I mean, you see old books that don't even mention it. And then to this day, I think it's very common that, uh, and what, what strikes me about it is I, I work with a lot of customers that are purely SQL Server backend with, you know, .NET application code, and they're not using the tool. Yeah, they, they hmm. just like it's totally invisible to them. And for me, the biggest thing, the message I try and send when I'm talking to folks about this is being able to treat your database schema like it's just part of the source code it, you know the the magic one when dbas go why would i bother with that and i and i said look at it and say you can roll back and it'll work right yeah <laughs> that is magic that is magic because there's never in all my years of ministering databases around application development rolling back is impossible yep it's it means going to backups it's hell and there's just basic goodness too that we used to use third-party tool. I mean, we, I mean, the SQL 
Redgate stuff's been there a long time, you know, schema compare and all yeah. that. All that's just built in now. Yeah. Well, should we talk about testing? Let's talk about testing. All right. Test edition. Test edition. I think the test edition is better known than the DBA edition, but not by much. <laughs> <laughs> Number of times I've showed off doing web testing with, with Studio Test Edition, and just how many people have seen this? No hands. Like, people just don't know it's there. Yeah, and which you know would also lead us into Architecture Edition with a similar story. It's really, and I, I don't like to admit it, it's really a, a developer edition story right now as far as widespread, everybody knows about this, et cetera. But Test Edition, uh, yeah, and this is kind of near and dear to me because I'm doing a lot of work currently with it. Um, being able to do, like, web tests and smoke tests as part of the build process, stuff like this, um, becomes pretty trivial with TFS. So I can record a web test that basically just touches all my pages and just does some basic user story, you know, interaction, and then have that run as part of my normal just build process just to make sure their simple things never make it past the build process. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. We we just recently done that with the customer, and it's just it's amazing that just a, a page missing or something like that, this stuff still goes over the wall out the door in a production uh, because of lack of automation. Um, but the test edition itself... Uh, you know, is going to have load testing, web testing, manual testing. I think you're going to find the 2010 story very powerful around testing in general. Uh, a lot of enhancements there, and hopefully some of that changes then, Richard, on, you know, the uh, people knowing about some of this stuff. I do think that for 2010, the reorganization of the versions is the biggest reason people are going to know. Yeah, <laughs> which maybe that's why they're doing some of that, possibly. Uh, yeah, you think? Maybe, yeah. perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just they're just a lot. They're creating a version now so that everybody's going to actually already own it, and then it then it's just a did you look? Yep. Well, they combined. Yeah, and that decision since that decision was made that hey, if you got developer edition, you also have database edition in the new world. So what they're doing, right. what they're doing in as far as the 2008 user, what that means is if you have one, it's and I don't want to get in trouble here, but in effect, it's a buy one get one free. Basically, if I've got database edition. I can download Developer Edition now and, and vice versa for free in 2008. So one license gets me two now, which is really nice. Yeah, that is nice. Yeah, and I think back to when I was doing, you know, I, I used to be a developer, and, and I wasn't one of the guys that always had somebody that would write my stored procedures or I had that luxury. You know, lots of developers today I still see, they're in SQL Management Studio or they're they're doing whatever to... to they're working with the database side and the application code, and they're using Visual Studio, and they're still not using all the goodness that's in that tool. So hopefully that's going to change. Do you see most folks using uh, and embracing continuous integration, or is that still, uh, is that still sort of... Uh... Yeah. So, so the continuous integration at the, at the, I would say, the hardcore level, meaning every check-in I build, don't mm-hmm. see that as 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 often as I'd like. I I I see. I at least see though that more and more. Hey, let's build at noon. Let's build at five. Let's build. You know, let's continually build. Let's not come together on Bob's machine once a week, which we used right, to right. see just all the time. It, um, since we out of the box now support CI right with two thousand eight. Used to have to do a little work. You know, work around stuff to get that to work in two thousand five. But you wouldn't believe really. Um, uh, how many places still 
have not embraced CI, I would think, from the standpoint of, you know, it's okay every two or three days to come together and not having the process all the way automated. When you've got the tool right there to do it, Team Build will just do it. Right. I mean, we're talking about a radio button click. Yeah. And then now start to glue the whole story together. So turn on CI, turn on the web test as part of your build process to smoke anything out. And just have this thing automated all the time. Now you will need servers and everything to make this happen. Now, do you think the the lack of embracing of CI in um, in you know TFS is because they don't really understand it, or are they afraid? Are developers afraid of it because they're going to get their finger pointed at? Yeah. So that we all know that true CI shops, um, there's eggshells, right? You do not break the build. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we're going to, so that, I mean, there's, there's a fear factor involved with, uh, from the developers for, for sure, because, and, and you know, which by the way, it just promotes great quality of software, I'd argue, but, um, you don't want to break the build, but the idea, uh, now what's, how about we don't let the code get into the source control repository at all. And we'd like to be able to, um, have ran that through the build process before we broke the real build. Now, gated check-ins is what I'm, what I'm leaning towards in 2010 hmm. um, is the next level. Why it's not all the way, why, why everybody in the world's not doing CI, I don't have a good reason for you. I think it's, again, it's a lack of understanding and direction from um, of the benefits of it. And the benefit to me, really, because I, I, I think back again, you know, in my previous life about, how difficult it was to take changes from four or five or six developers even and then integrate those once a week, let alone a hundred developers and integrate them, you know, once every week, once every two weeks. I mean, there's so many benefits. If you can just have that known stable build there all the time. Well, and like I said, the sooner you get a build up and, and catch the mistake, it's not like you don't make mistakes, it's that you catch them early. Yeah. Easier right. to debug than something you would have forgot about two weeks ago, right? So Lots of benefits there. Now, gated check-ins, I, I would think that's something that, that's going to be one of the hot stories for 2010. And so before, I guess, you know, I'm going to check this in, which may or may not have an issue, but it's going to run through a stringent process, before, you know, including the build process, before it ever even winds up as the latest version in source control and breaks everybody else. That's pretty powerful. And there's ways to achieve it in 2008. If there, anybody's familiar with the book TFS, 2008 in action. It's like a it's like a recipes book, basically one of the only books for TFS 2008. By the way, um, he'll he'll show you in that book in pretty good detail how to set up how to set up this gated check in, which builds on CI all you know within 2008 by using shelving and these various other workarounds. In 2010, that's going to be one of the hot features right out of the box. Yeah, the, the whole test suite inside of 2010 seems to have taken a big jump forward here. Well, we were mentioning this before we even started the show about how th that virtual machines uh, are now playing a much bigger role in 2010. Yeah, and, you know, we've got, there's lots of fancy stuff with the test stuff in 2010. And, you know, there's, you know, running manual test runner, the standalone test tool, um, you know, being able to see things like test impact analysis, like, what parts of your code base and what, what what parts of your tests need rewritten? I mean, there's lots of fancy things. This whole virtual idea of spitting out all these testing pieces into those virtual environments, and it, I mean, it's really humbling. One of the things I do, I'm responsible for, is I'm I'm working on some content for the test edition in 2008 to deliver to customers, like in three day training 
modules. And I, one of my jobs is going to be to port over that to 2010. And, and when we say port to 2010, I think I'm thinking of starting over. It, it's that big. I mean, it's, mm. it's just amazing. Wow. Yeah, they really have seemed to have taken a different approach on testing entirely in 2010, but in a, in a good way. Yeah, I mean, how about no repro? Or getting rid of no repro, right? Yeah, is it possible to have no repro because you just snapshot the machine at the point of failure so that <laughs> right. they can play? You know, you, you have a video of what the tester did, and then they've also got the machine state at that when he did it. I mean, yeah, because what happens is the tester traditionally sends the developer the bug, and well, it it works on my machine, right? I don't the the tester's wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the correct, you know, Stevie Forte said that. I know how to say it works on that, my machine in 10 languages, 10 languages now. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, the, other th- the other thing I've got the sense of with the whole test thing as we go into this virtualized space and handle all this is that it's going to be an infrastructure installed just like TFS, that setting up your test labs not going to be something you just whip off one day. You're going to have to do a, a bunch of different things at once. Yeah, and, and 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 I think some of that even exists in 2008 with the testing stuff. We have something called Team Test Load Agent, and the idea is even in 2008, although you can run your load tests and everything from one machine off the off the normal test edition install, um, you know we want to generate load with many different machines to to you know to be able to generate load adequately. So there's extra install steps, but yeah, in 2010. Um, Albeit a lot of the installation story is going to be very much simplified and flexible, I think testing is the one spot where it's going to be more complicated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're the, the the tool you were mentioning before the show with the virtualization, and I mean, there's there's that's what I always say. If you know, what's it take to be a TFS guru? Some people ask me it sometimes, and I really don't know any. Um, you have to know so many different products at, at Adept. So. When you install it, the same thing. If you're going to troubleshoot or whatever, there's going to be there's a lot here. Yeah, it sounds like an awful lot to know. And Michael, uh, is there places we should be sending folks to know more about Team System? I mean, you mentioned obviously the the uh, installation handbook that they should be doing before they even touch that DVD. Well, other things they should be looking at. Yeah, there there are a couple places I think that you that you have to check out. Um, first of all, there's a team development guide. First of all, I guess I'd even take a step back. On CodePlex in general, great place to search TFS stuff, okay? Um, there is a PDF guide on CodePlex if I want to do branching and merging, um, you know, from James Pickles' name, and he's released some great guidance around that. There's a, so depending on what your topic is, if you're wanting some, uh, you know, to extend some MS build tasks, uh, that, that, you know, search it on CodePlex. But I'll point people to the team development guide, and what it is, it's, it's the book that I wish... I guess somebody would have polished and put out for every version. It's kind of an end-to-end book with, with the, you know, working with team systems. So it's going to tell you about digesting reports. It's going to tell you about sharing code in TFS and branching and merging. And it's broken out in a real nice, you know, chapter laid out real nice. Uh, and I think it's also a little known. I see a lot of companies that, that don't know. Well, the idea is that you can't just go out and buy a book that says, hey, teach me this whole thing, uh, which bugs people. Um, so I would point them to that. And then I would also, you know, MSDN, just, just find the launching page for Team System there, and you can just drill, and you'll see the little links on the right-hand side. Okay, I want to go to the 2008 version. I want to go to the 2010 version, and, uh, or the 2005 version even, and just drill by topic through MSDN. Just a wealth of information there. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's been great talking to you, Michael. You guys as well. Appreciate the time. Absolutely. 
and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a